Welcome leaders. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb here and state the obvious. It's February. We're halfway through Q1. And if you're experiencing the same feeling that I am, this year is already flying by. My advice, don't let time pass by without getting some sort of personal development or training for your team on the calendar. I know exactly what happens. Each new year brings new resolutions and goals. And next thing you know, the year's over and you wished you had taken action sooner. Well, now's the time, leaders. Excursion and retreat season is here. The first manager training course with Leadership Excursion Company is scheduled for the end of this month, February 2019, and we're two short months from hosting our Spark Women's Retreat self-care experience in Southern Utah, which will be April 11th through the 14th. We have a number of programs available for leadership training, team building, our new youth leadership program, and personal development opportunities. You have the option of signing up for any of our courses individually Or if you'd like to schedule a private session with your team, we can accommodate that as well. We're completely flexible. For additional details, visit leadershipexcursion.co and to access the latest and greatest schedule, head to leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule. On today's show, I'm thrilled to have Galit Ventura Rosen as our guest. The story of how she became a speaker and author is unconventional and her journey completely unexpected. If you feel like you learn things the hard way or take the long, most challenging route, Galit's story will definitely resonate with you. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Galit, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. It's about time. I know we talked about doing this for a while, and uh, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. So you and I, we run in the same networking circles a lot. Um, NABO is a common theme. Great organization. Yes, here on the podcast. Um, And you're doing some amazing things. We're going to dive in today and and talk about you, what you're up to. Um, And you have a real unique story, a unique background. Should we just start there? Sure. Yeah. Tell tell me about you. And that's like a huge loaded question. I know. And it's so funny because anybody that's like me that's really out there serving and trying to inspire does not like to talk about (laughs) themselves. And I laugh because people go, what do you mean? That's what you do for a living. You talk. I go, yeah, about other people or topics I want to help them with. Well, that's why I have this podcast. Isn't it funny? Because leaders tend to not talk about themselves yes. or what they're doing yes. or they shine a light on their team or other people. Yes, so exactly. And I'm definitely that person. I much yeah. prefer talking about everybody else. So my story is I've lived in Las Vegas for 31 years. So I'll start there because we're in Las Vegas, which is really fun. And I was kind of a little bit of, and I call it a little bit of an orphan because when I went to college, I went to UNLV here in Las Vegas to get my first degree in business. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do something in business, but I didn't know what it was exactly. But I knew that I didn't think I could work for somebody. And so when I got out of college, even before I got out of college, I started exploring what could I get involved in. And having a father that immigrated to the States before I was born, 
with my mom. I, I always joke that I was made overseas and born in the USA because it's actually the truth. My parents moved here when my mom was pregnant with me, and I got to watch him build, in all honesty, the American dream. So he made this possibility for me that, wait, maybe I don't have to go graduate college like a lot of people and go start working for someone. And that's probably how the whole entrepreneurship thing started for me. And then the next natural step for me was real estate. Because we moved to Vegas right before I started high school, right before the boom. My dad was in commercial real estate as an investor. And I was watching from the sidelines as I got older, 18, 19, 20. And I was watching other people take care of his properties. And I just felt like I could do a better job. And I said, hey, dad, I really think I could do a better job for you. And he said, let's go. And that's how the commercial real estate all got started. And then from there, I opened my own company within two years, and I've owned it for 25 years. That's your commercial real it estate? It really is, yeah. I want to touch on this real quick. Sure. So what year did you move to Las Vegas? Oh, gosh, 1987. All right. So you're talking about that boom of the early 90s. 6,000 people a month. Yes. like That's when the city was really starting to, yes. to take shape and grow. I shouldn't say take shape. I mean, Vegas has always been but Vegas. It but it really kind of did. That, to me, was the the boom. Mm -hmm. I mean, Vegas was in existence and it did really well. But the way that we grew in our population, that's aside from the tourists, that never changed. But the population growth, people that weren't living in hotels, living on the strip. So that really was the beginning. Yeah. Can you sum up your experience in commercial real estate? I, I realize you've been doing it for a, for a while, but since you started doing that in the late 80s, up sure. until now, sure. with stadiums going in, we've been talking a, a lot about this topic on the podcast, so I always like to get people's perspectives. Yeah, I had an amazing career in commercial real estate at the beginning, and then we hit the 2007-2008 recession, and I got a big lesson and thankfully, we were able to save as many properties as we could. Our landlords didn't lose their properties. And then from there, obviously, we've recovered. Commercial real estate today is doing amazing in Las Vegas. And what I'm seeing is those hotels that are rebuilding, obviously, it starts there because that creates jobs. And then it's a domino effect. So we're bringing in the Golden Knights. We're bringing in the Raiders. We never imagined growing up in Las Vegas that we would ever have teams that would want to even be here because there was almost the stigma about our city. And I remember moving here from California and my girlfriend saying, are you going to live in a hotel? Right? Green? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, there's actual cities. And until today, that stigma still lives in some cities. They hear you're from Las Vegas and their eyes just pop out of their head. I'm raising children here. You're what? Yeah, I get that question when I'm traveling internationally. Yes. I'll say I'm from Las Vegas, and people will still ask still me that. what hotel I live in. Yes, yeah. yes. So summing up commercial real estate, I believe that it's been a domino effect from the hotels. So when our tourism is doing well, that develops jobs, which in turn develop what I call second and third. You can call it generation or the domino effect of companies that need to open. And then, of course, we also have all the tax benefits, which only makes it even more attractive for companies to come in town. And so it's just 
it's something, it's a field, it's a profession that is very successful, not the easiest to get into, especially then as a woman. And I had to experience a lot of that. I was young, I was a woman, the average age of an agent was 40 and about 95% male. Who's this girl that wants to be in commercial real estate? But it developed a lot of who I am today. Mm -hmm. But I see it continuing to be successful. I think that Las Vegas is not even close to stopping to grow. Yeah, and I'm just trying to think, like, from my perspective, what what I notice is um, bigger names are coming here now. And in your opinion, what was the shift that happened for, you know, the Amazons, the, um, and we do have pre- pro teams here now, with, and you mentioned the stigma, but I think um, also having gambling here, that stigma is different now. Too. Yes. But you know, but what really has made in your opinion those larger names want to come to Southern Nevada and why it's so desirable? Well, the logical reasons are because the the living expense here is so much lower than a lot of the surrounding states. That's obviously. So their employees can actually afford to get paid what they're paying and still live quite nicely. The other thing of course is our taxes. That mm-hmm. is a large thing for why we get so many California companies. Yeah, but now we've always had that, though. Yes, absolutely. You know? You're absolutely right. But I also think that as we grow, we're making waves all over the world with the growth. So it's a domino effect. One company kind of takes the leap, takes a chance, and then everyone's watching. Zappos is a good example. Zappos, oh, wait, they're in Vegas? Why are they in Vegas? Maybe we need to check out and see why they are. But it's also, a lot of it's also based on money. So our rents are not very expensive. The buildings are not as expensive when you compare us to our neighbor, California. So I think that it, I think that the stigma has been raised because people are more open-minded today than they were 20 or 30 years ago. And of course, that's in a lot of different areas of life. Yeah, and I think the um, the economic downturn of 2007, 2008 really opened people's eyes to the the bad side of of life right i mean life is ups and downs and everything in between and i think once you go through something like that you think a little differently about your money and your time yes and what you want to be doing with your money and time and if things do go bad again what are you going to do where are you going to be Yes. You know, so I think that has a little bit to do with it. For sure. For sure. And I wouldn't know exactly what it is because I think with each company, they sit down and they have their factors with their team and they decide what makes sense for them. The same reason why a company would go open a factory in Michigan. There's a reason for it. But I do think in comparison for living here as long as I have now and seeing our growth, that we're not just known for gambling or as they say, Sin City anymore. That stigma, I believe, has been maybe risen a little, but I also think maybe as humans, we've developed more. Mm-hmm. And we're not, I want to hope we're not as close-minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy to say that living in Las yes, Vegas. Yes, right? I know. And I'm just going to go with that <laughs> yeah. because I like that half glass full. You know me, Cree. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So earlier you mentioned being in commercial real estate. Uh, you know, you were oftentimes the only female. What types of challenges did you face and what did you do to overcome those challenges? Still till today, I will be in a room with nine or 10 males 
closing a deal or negotiating, and I'm still the only woman many times. There are a lot more women-owned commercial real estate companies today in Las Vegas, very successful ones, and I'm so happy, and amazing commercial female agents that have been around quite some time. But when I first got started, I had the challenge of being stereotyped a lot. I was this pretty, young, smiley girl that probably should have been home raising kids instead of out there trying to sell multi-million dollar properties. But what I will tell you is I found I was also very blessed. I had a father that believed in me so much that he pushed me. He pushed me. So let's say he introduced me to a potential investor and they kind of looked at me like, oh, that's his daughter. What is he... All I had to do was open my mouth and speak. And in all honesty, a lot of times that's all it is for a lot of us women. We just have to open our mouth and not be afraid to be vocal, to share our expertise, to share our light, and not hold back because we're concerned about how they may take it or not. If they had a problem with me, they didn't have to work with me. Next. But I had so much success that it made sense for me to continue stepping up. So... The challenges I had were really just what you would think, stereotyped before I opened my mouth, okay? Being blonde, yeah, there was a little bit of stereotyping there too. Being young, being a female in a very male-dominated industry at the time. Today, it's not. I'm very thankful that today it's not. And also, it wasn't an industry that was easy to get into. What I found was at that time, we're talking about, gosh, 25 years ago when I got started in the industry, that... It wasn't easy, like residential real estate, you can go online, take your test, 90 hours, right? And just start selling homes. Barely any training. Commercial's not as easy. You need someone to mentor you. So I found that there was a lack of that for me. So I had to find it. Groups just like NABO, but commercial real estate women is a 6,000 strong membership in America. And I found that there was a place where I needed to step and start, step up and start mentoring younger women. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what the progression, that's really how I started mentoring. Okay. That makes sense. I just started bringing in women that would call me and be like, how do I get into commercial real estate? It just wasn't that simple. Come work with me, Mm -hmm. be my assistant, then get your license. Then let's teach you which area you like. And I'm so thankful because so many of them are still in touch with me today. And they're just flourishing in the industry. And some of them are men, by the way, Cree, not just women. Right, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, you, you make a name I for yourself. I mentored quite any. a few men, too. Mm-hmm. What, why do you think um, there is such a disparity? Meaning, so I worked in tech for 20 years. And very similar experience. Different industry, very similar experience. And lots of times people will point to, well, you know, it's, it's that girls aren't as interested in insert whatever it is than boys are you know girls aren't as interested in math girls aren't as interested in science gaming um commercial real estate those types of things do you think that there is some some reality some truth to that i don't i think there are plenty of girls that are interested in that i think unfortunately our educational system still is lacking and giving them the support and mentorship that they need to feel confident. Girls are built differently than boys. It's just what it is. I'm sorry. But we are, okay? A lot of us are emotional creatures. It doesn't mean I cry every day. But I I work from emotion. I work from my heart sometimes. And I think that if you took a man and a woman, 
that had the potential to apply for a promotion, and this is not across the board. Many times, a man will apply when he doesn't have all of the required criteria. A woman will sometimes feel like she has to meet all that criteria before she applies. And so I don't, I think that at times it's our society that needs to do a better job promoting or mentoring or supporting those that may be questioning themselves if it's boys or girls because I'm sure there's a lot of boys that don't feel confident as well yeah I think if we look at people I have a lot of male traits and female traits Um, I will I can cry at the drop of a dime you know but I also love to like if I buy a car and it's broken I'll go on YouTube and figure out how to fix it and get my hands dirty you know? Yeah. And I think if we look at people in terms of people, but you might have different male and or female traits, then I think that that's a really good step. I think we need to stop looking at it as a gender based. And yeah. I think, it, I mean, it's proven facts. This is not something I'm coming up with. If you go online and you look at surveys of teachers and a, a little girl says one thing and a little boy says another, a lot of times, unfortunately, they make it gender based instead of instead of, ex, let's say, interest or experience-based. Does that make sense? But yeah, absolutely. I'm a mom that has two boys and a girl, so I'm a mom that believes that all of them can do whatever they want to do, mm-hmm. no matter what field it's in. Yeah. So that's my personality, but there's a lot of people still out there that are very old school. Absolutely. I think things are changing. Yes, I do too. I hope they are. Yeah. Because I want to believe they are. Yeah. You pointed out something else. I think it's so important. I um, recently, Jet Mitchell interviewed me and, and you brought this up that women, when applying for a job, they'll only talk about or disclose the experience that they already have. Whereas men will talk about their potential, you know, and that's what I do wish for women is that, yes, your experience and what you've done is important, but you can do more. You can build on that experience. And you, uh, you know, if you look at a job description or whatever it is that you want to do, you just sell yourself, market yourself, market the way that you, the, the way that you approach work, the fact that you can learn and that you believe in yourself enough that you can do whatever that job is. You know, I do. I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I see that. I saw that. I'm working in tech for 20 years. That was a difference that I saw between men and women. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We don't need to know it all. We never will. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I know. I am not even close to knowing it all. I will never know it all. There are just some times that you just got to give it a shot. One of the things you said that stood out to me is the word believe in yourself. And honestly, Cree, a lot of the time, it's based on that. Mm-hmm. You just don't. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, if you don't believe in yourself, I'm sure there's someone around you that believes in you enough. So kind of listen to them and take it in until you start believing in yourself. Because I want to think, I hope all of us have at least one person that does. I know that I'm very blessed to have many people that do. So when I'm like questioning myself, I woke up this morning questioning everything. That's what I do. But doesn't mean it's I shouldn't. It just means I have to figure out how to get through it Mm -hmm. to recognize I'm fine and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side, if you are somebody who interviews people or is looking to hire people or work with people, recognize that. Start to look for those types of things. Because another thing I hear a lot on this podcast is, you know, I 
got this opportunity because someone took a chance on me. Yes. Someone saw yes. something in me that I did not realize in myself. Agreed. And I think that that's something as a leader you can also be looking out for in other people. Give, yes. give people that chance. Help, you know, help them connect those dots so that they they feel comfortable being themselves, right? That is definitely part of being a leader in my mm-hmm. eyes. Seeing the strengths in others and recognizing that everybody has faults and weaknesses, but somebody else could fill that slot. That's a really big thing for me. Mm-hmm. As someone that's owned her own business for so many years and also now works with businesses, I have to tell you, focus on their strengths. There's probably somebody on your team that can fill their weakness that that's their strength. So don't put so much emphasis on someone's weaknesses. So if someone's interviewing somebody, and don't get me wrong, not everybody's right for every job. That's not what we're talking about. But if they see something in that person, and we've heard story after story, Cree, where someone takes a chance on someone, like you said, and they become such a success because of it. Yeah, it's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the risk part. Yes, that, always. Um, you know, the, the interviewee is always scared of the risk part. You know, the interviewer is probably scared too. So if you meet in the middle, yes. it could be awesome. Oh, yes, it could. It could be awesome. For sure. Yes. So now you're you're still in commercial, commercial real estate, but you, oh my gosh, you are up to so much. So you're a part of NABO. Um, you're starting a new women's chapter here in Las Vegas. You're a speaker. You just wrote a book. Yes. You just released your book. We have so much to dive into yes. here. How did you make that transition out of, um, or I shouldn't say out of, but sure. how did you make that step from uh, commercial real estate to realizing, you know what, I, there's something else I want to do? It's a funny story. When I was 38, I knew I had already been in commercial real estate for, gosh, since the age of 22. So what, 16 years. So for a lot of people, that's a whole career. And I just felt like I was supposed to do more, even though I had my entire life been in philanthropic and professional organizations and mentoring other agents. So I went back to school. I was like, oh, I'll go back to school. What do you, you don't know. So I go back to school. I get my master's in marriage and family therapy. I thought I was supposed to be a therapist. What? Yes. All right. So what did you get your undergrad in? A business. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's completely different. You're going to have fun with this. Yeah. So I go back to school. Instead of two years, it takes me five years. Please never give up if you want to go back to school, because it is possible. I took as many leave of absences as I could, took as many weeks as I could between classes, because there was so much going on in my personal life. And I just didn't give up. Got about 500 hours in front of clients, and then started practicing. At the same exact time that I started practicing, again, didn't give up my commercial real estate. I I love that. That's my first baby, I call it. I started practicing, and I cannot even explain to you. It's crazy. Something just said, you're supposed to do more. You're supposed to make a bigger impact. So I started exploring. A lot of us get coaches, right, Cree? Coaches are the best thing ever. I'm thankful for them. I'm one. I always have one. I wouldn't know what to do without one because they show you things you can't see by yourself. Mm -hmm. So we started exploring. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to do something else. And she's, and we came up with Women Empowerment and Business Mentor. It's like, oh my gosh, that sounds right, business. I know how to show women how to be successful in any kind of business. It's been a talent I've had since I was young. I've built multiple businesses from the ground up, 
help them be successful, been a consultant. And so now I'm practicing, right, therapy 20 hours a week, and I'm building this business. And basically what happened was one started overpowering the other. I started running workshops. I started having clients that wanted to speak to me every other week. And I looked at my therapy practice and as whatever you may believe in, as the universal habit, my clients started dwindling. I was like, what's going on? I had 20 clients. But then my other business started growing. And so the next thing you knew, I was doing one more than the other and realized that I was not supposed to be in a room all day with one person at a time. I was somehow supposed to make a bigger impact. So that's, I mean, there's no like magical story. That's really how it came about. So what made you decide to stay in school? Well, I finished school. Uh-huh. Okay, this so this is after? Yes. Okay. So I finished school, started practicing, and then this came about. I love this because um, just because you go to school for something doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do. Yes, yes. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Society did what society does best. You just spend $50,000 in five years of your life and you're not going to practice. Oh my gosh. It is my, I don't know what it is about me. I always do the opposite, (laughs) right? And I said, no, I was supposed to go back to school because I believe I was supposed to learn about how the mindset works and behaviors and how to change them. I learned all the therapy models. I learned, I have 600 hours in front of clients dealing with issues, real life issues, and everything began and end with their thoughts. Yeah, I mean, working with a coach is definitely like a therapy (laughs) session. I'll just say that, you know. Yes, yes. So I'm sure that background is It's been benefiting me in so many ways that I'm thankful that I got the education that I did. I never thought I'd have a master's degree. It was never in my plan. So it's kind of neat for me to have that. And it gave you the time I think you may have needed to discover what it is that you're doing today. Yes, yes. Everything lines up and and builds upon the next thing that you're going to do. Yes. And that just kind of built into, I mean, one of the things I want your listeners to know more than anything today to take away is that we have this plan for our life. And if you did yourself any favors, throw that plan out the door. Because if you told me I would be where I am today in every part of my life, personal, professional, everything, I would have told you you were crazy. I would have told you to go take some medication. Because this was not the plan. This is completely opposite. But it's so much better than the plan. Yeah. And it's so much more fun. So I'm happy I'm not on the plan anymore. (laughs) What did you do with uh, the people who may have, um, you know, thought negatively of, of what you were doing or the naysayers in your life who, like, you know, you just spent all this time and money in school. Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you practicing? How do you handle that? First, I want those that are listening to know that sometimes people question you out of love for you because they're worried and they want you to be safe. In their eyes, safety is what they want for you. So for example, you went to school, you spent this money, you spent this time, you're a great therapist. Why don't you just stick to it? It's safe. Go write a book, go be a speaker, go be a coach. What the, I remember one of my girlfriends, which by the way, she's not my girlfriend anymore, said to me right at the beginning, you think someone's going to pay you that much to teach them how to 
X, Y, and Z, right? Business or whatever. And I, I was like, whoa, I do not need people like this around me. Yeah. So you've got two different kinds of naysayers. You've got the ones that truly love you, family and really close friends. And I believe they just wanted what was safe for me. They were nervous for me. But then you've got the people that really just don't believe in you. And those are the people that I personally have chosen to allow out of my life. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you know the difference? Oh, how, you do. Yeah. You do. I'm a real gut person. Uh, you know the difference. You know uh, someone that doesn't want to watch you succeed versus someone that loves you to pieces but is nervous about your financial. I, I went through a divorce while I was going to school. And all of a sudden, I'm a single mom with three kids under the age of 16. And one of the things was, how are you going to make a living? You've got this really safe career, commercial real estate. First, The first naysayers were, why the heck are you going back to school? Mm-hmm. You're making six figures a year. Are you crazy? First naysayers. Mm-hmm. Second naysayers are, great, you went back to school. We finally got used to it. Why are you not practicing? Mm-hmm. So I think the way that you would know the difference is just ask yourself. And the second piece that I knew was when they finally saw how much passion and purpose I had, now they're my biggest supporters. Right, right. And they see it. But then it wasn't something that they could see. Yeah. How do you accept criticism in your life? I don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've read the book, The Four Agreements. It's oh, one yeah. of my favorites. And if society ran by those four agreements, man, we would be an amazing society. But one of them is don't take things personally. I think part of what I got from my education, because you have to go to therapy as well as a therapist, it's part of the requirements of your education, is I learned that when people criticize, it's not really about me. It's about them and their own insecurities. Or sometimes, like I said, it's about they're worried about you and want you to be safe in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So I've just, the way that I take it is I learned to kind of laugh a little bit inside And sometimes I'll voice it, like I did to that girlfriend. I said, oh, I'm sorry, you're wrong, because people are paying me and will be paying me for that expertise. But if it's someone I love, and I know they're not going to change, and it is who it is, and I accept them for what they are, I just kind of giggle a little bit inside and say, this is not about me. Maybe something in their past they didn't accomplish. Maybe they're looking back on their life and wondering, why didn't I take those risks? There's something there that's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. How do you parse out the information that's helpful for you? So let's say somebody um, that you know, who's close to you, uh, gives you some feedback. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you kind of think about, okay, what can I apply? And Maybe I won't apply that. So you're, you're putting all those personal feelings aside. Now you're taking it in as information, right? Mm-hmm. How do you parse out what will or won't work for you? I'm I'm definitely someone that I feel a lot. And so I can usually tell, I'll listen. Well, there's two pieces of that, Cree, because sometimes we take things wrong too. Mm-hmm. So if someone is giving me a piece of advice, I might kind of step back, right? Well, why are they giving me that opinion? They're wrong. And I have to actually check myself sometimes and say, Galit, why are you getting emotionally hurt by this? Why is this affecting you personally? Step away from the emotion. Listen to the advice. Now, 
that's my masculine, okay? Mm -hmm. You talked about masculine and feminine. I have a lot of masculine where I can separate myself from the emotion when it's related to business. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. It's business. You've heard that before. Some people aren't capable of separating the two. I have the ability. So if their advice is one, I have to separate the emotion. I check myself, separate it, and then I actually listen to it. Mm But it's not always something that I'll want to implement, but sometimes it is. And that's where I check myself. Right. Yeah. I always use emotion as a trigger for me. You know, if I find myself feeling emotional or taking it personally, then I know to say, okay, step back, hear just the information. The person's trying to help you and then, you know, figure it out from there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that there's always going to have people, there's always going to be people with opinions. There's always going to be people that want to share it with you and tell you what's right or wrong for you. And the more that you get comfortable with yourself, which I have over the years with my age, it's the truth. I'm not the same person I was 10, 20 years ago, even five years ago. I have to become more comfortable with myself so I can be open to other people's opinions, but also recognize that I don't have to take every opinion personally or allow it to impact me or take it yeah sometimes you just listen yep <laughs> you let li- you listen politely you mm-hmm. shake your head and you say oh thank you so much mm-hmm. for that obviously they needed to tell me so i let them yeah yeah i think that's that's important though listen because sometimes you'll listen the first time and if it's a common theme that comes up over and over maybe you should really start paying yes, closer attention yes. to yeah Yeah. So I want to talk about you now, what you're up to. So you just finished, is this your first book that you just finished? It is. Yeah. So crazy. And how long have you been speaking now? Oh my gosh, Kree, you wouldn't even believe me if I told you all this. Uh, People don't usually believe me. I started speaking professionally less than two years ago. And then you'll appreciate this in May, it'll be two years in May, I spoke at the National Association of Women Business Owners in Las Vegas, first time ever. And we were kind of trying to come up with a topic, Dana and I, she runs the committee. And I said, Oh, I've got a few ideas, randomly emailed her three ideas. And one of them was the successful woman's mindset. And she loved it. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I've shared this story with Dana. I hope she hears this. If not, I'll tell her. And I said, Okay, no problem. And literally, got asked to speak, put together a presentation of 45, 50 minutes, gave it. It was so well received. For months after that, women at different events would say, Khalid, this one thing you said really stayed with me. Remember how you said things will keep showing up if you don't if you don't listen? Mm-hmm. So I ignored it the first time, the second time, the third time. The fifth time, I'm like, wait, I think I need to write a book about this. Kree, I've never written a book. I've never thought about writing a book. I've never thought about speaking professionally. If anything, I did my dangdest to stay the heck away from it my entire life. I've never been in theater, never been on stage, not my personality at all. People laugh. They say, are you sure? Like, no, no, no. I was the girl that wanted everybody else to be successful and I just supported them. So that's how it came about. So I've been speaking for less than two years and the book just came out in December. I wrote it in less than a year and I don't know. The rest is going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, I want to point out, because we talked about this earlier, you just threw out some ideas. You didn't even have your – you just had a, an idea. 
you had no idea just what title. you were going to talk about Nope, yet. nothing. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, what we don't realize, and I know you'll appreciate this because you're so creative, is you come up with an idea and sometimes it's just a phrase. It's really that allowing it and sitting down and going, what does this mean, right? So I did my presentation. I used eight characteristics of the successful woman's mindset in that presentation. Didn't give that presentation again gosh, for a long time. I think it was almost a year and a half, maybe a year. And then all of a sudden, I developed those eight characteristics into a chapter titles and came up with more. I have 21 chapters. So there's actually 21 characteristics of the successful woman's mindset now. And now I'm finding more titles for the chapters are showing up. So I'm going to have to do more eventually. Volume two coming up. I don't know. The, the, the latest one that came to me was She Says No which is such a big one. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that's got to be a chapter of the next book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To anybody who's listening, ideas evolve. Yes. You are not going to be 100% perfect right out of the gate. Go with what you have and allow yourself to learn and grow along the way. You know, listen to the people who you're presenting to and get that feedback and and you know, those other topics, you can just add them later. It's it's amazing to me the progression And so many people are waiting for things to be perfect, Mm -hmm. okay? You can't see me, but perfect. I'm doing my little quotes because I was one of those people years ago, and I had to learn perfection doesn't exist. It is so much pressure on yourself. And when you let that go, my book is not perfect. For those of you listening, this is going to be a fun thing I'm going to point out, that chapter 10 is missing my quote. So every chapter starts with a famous person's quote or my quote. I've used like Oprah Winfrey. I've used some amazing women and I use their quotes and some of them are mine. Well, chapter 10, I just noticed doesn't have the quote. Well, it was supposed to have a Zen proverb, but it didn't, I forgot to put it in or we missed it in the editing. Yeah. So one of the women that uploaded the book. She said, Hey, Galit, no problem. Let's just go ahead and add it and upload. I'm like, Nope, leave it. I go, I think that was an example. Stop shooting for perfection. My book was not perfect when it got published in so many ways. I questioned my language. English is my second language. A lot of people don't know that. So I have a lot of the characteristics associated with my vocabulary is not that exciting. My writing is very simple. Well, these are all judgments. It doesn't mean it's true. If anything, I'm getting testimonials from women that are saying, it's so easy to read. The language is so simple. She's not using big words. I'm like, okay, the things that I thought were bad about me or negative, other people are appreciating because it's easier for them to understand. Mm -hmm. So you never know how somebody's going to take something. Stop thinking that you need things to be perfect before you put them out there. And as Cree said, let them evolve. Because I would have never thought, now, Cree, I'm speaking on the topic in the next five months, I think out of like 10, I think maybe eight are on this topic. Mm -hmm. So who would have known? Yeah, I like how you left it in because I think that when things like that happen, turn it around and use it to your advantage. Yes. So when you're speaking in front of a crowd, you can now share this story and say, hey, this is the quote that was supposed to go here. So when you get the book, yeah, turn to that page. And I haven't shared that yet. Write it in there. But I you know, I, mean, I will. So I the, haven't shared it because I realized it after the fact. And it was in one of the copies, but somehow got lost in the editing. Mm-hmm. So I will. 
Yeah, really I, turn, turn it around and, yeah. and use it to your advantage. I love that. I didn't even think about that. It's funny because as we're talking, of course, I didn't know what I was going to talk about today and we're just going with it. But I didn't even know I was going to bring up that story. I'm like, oh my gosh, that story is the truth of stop waiting for things to be perfect. Mm-hmm. There will always be somebody that will judge you that it's not perfect. And there will always be those people that will appreciate and respect you because it's not perfect. And I've experienced both since this book has come out. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's very common. Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, earlier we did talk about you know how you handle naysayers. And these are people yes. that you care about. So these are people that you know that are in your life, maybe your close friends and family. And now that you have a book out and you are speaking in front of large size groups, yes. do you handle the the type of feedback you get in kind of the same way or is there a difference? I'll share a quick example. A few months ago, I spoke somewhere and uh, a woman in the audience, I said something, I was doing the successful woman's mindset presentation to the employees. And one of the women, I said something like, It's very important to have a positive perspective and really know that sometimes there is a half glass full to what somebody else might say. And this woman, you could right away read her energy. You know, Cree, when we speak, it doesn't matter how big the room is, we can feel it. Mm -hmm. It's in our human DNA to be in a room with 50 people and only notice one person that doesn't like us. It's just what it is. So she was vocal because I was open for questions. And she said, I am sick and tired of people telling me I need to think positively. Right? And I appreciated that because I knew that had nothing to do with me. And I made sure that I gave her a different perspective that worked for her. And I felt like she was better throughout the presentation. When I went back about a month later with the company and did a follow-up, because it's important to do a follow-up, what did the feedback say? How did people think about it? There was only one negative feedback. Guess who it was? Right. I'm sure sure we all know. Oh, we all know. And so I think the way that I deal with it is sometimes easier than others. I'm human. Some days I want to hide in my office and shut the door behind my computer. I can do a lot behind my computer without seeing one person for days. Mm -hmm. But I know that's not what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So I just realized there's people I'm going to please, there's people I'm not going to please. And to try my best not to take things personally, and sometimes I do, but most times I say, Galit, look, this is not about you. This is about them. And I think my therapy master's degree helped me with that because I could tell when people make comments sometimes, I can, sorry, going there, sometimes psychoanalyze them and be like, okay, they're probably dealing with some past trauma or someone that had a strong opinion once. And of course, I don't share that with them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be anybody's therapist. But I recognize it's not about me and there's something deeper going on there. Or it's just as simple as saying, you know what, they my message and who I am just doesn't resonate with them. Exactly. And that's totally okay. If if this you know, if this doesn't resonate with you, absolutely. Go try something else. Yeah. I I know I can't please everyone. Mm -hmm. That was also something I dealt with younger, thinking I was supposed to please everybody and make everybody happy. It's not my job. It's not your job to make people happy. It's your job to make yourself happy, and then hopefully they'll figure out a way to make themselves happy. Yeah, and it's not your problem. No. You can still care about somebody yes. and you know whatever's going on, but at the end of the day, it's not your problem. I've learned yeah. to accept people for their different personalities, their different opinions. I have some friends and family members that are so opposite than me in so many ways. They don't think like me. They don't act like me. They don't nothing. 
I just appreciate them for who they are and know that they bring value to my life in other ways. Mm -hmm. We don't have to have some kind of opinionated conversation about the things we don't agree about because I'm not going to change their mind and they're not going to change mine. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get speaking engagements? So it's interesting because a lot of the way that I get them is through visibility, right? I've built a really big brand in the last few years, even though it's a short period of time, I feel like I've been building my brand my whole life. And so when I, you asked me before, how did I make the transition to this new business? It was such a natural transition. So of course, we have the master's degree to the idea of this business mentor. But then I announced it to the world. And I announced it. And I, by the way, I know it's not answering your question, but I have to say this. You want to be held accountable for something, announce it to the world. I announce it. I do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I'll announce my goals. And it just gives me a little bit of strength, support. So what happened was I announced it to the world and I started building my brand. But I found that it was people weren't surprised. They're like, Elite, you've always been genuine. You've always been authentic. You've always wanted to help people. You've always been very approachable and likable, like all these things that I was hearing from the people that were supporting me. Because through social media, you make an announcement, all the people that love you, they comment. It's very rare that you get a naysayer saying, you shouldn't be doing that in public social media. So I started following that. That grew into people starting to ask. People just started asking because they were watching me. Social media gets people to watch you. It's one of the chapters in my book is called She is Visible because you can't make an impact if you're not visible. So if I wanted to be visible or not, I didn't have a choice anymore because the only way that I can make my impact was by that. So I would say the answer to that question is through social media. Mm-hmm. I also put together a, I'm going to have to try to remember the website if it's okay to share it, but I have a free opt-in to give you five direct links to find speaking engagements. Yeah, we'll, we'll put the yeah, information I can't in remember. our show notes. We're talking yeah. about so much stuff right now, but there's a place where you can go where I found all this. I'm like research queen. So I started doing all this research online and found all these great websites that people don't know about. I think it's just my business background. I'm very thorough. So I put something out there for people. Uh, so visibility, I'm, a, I'm really into personal relationships So I build a lot of personal relationships in the last 25 years of my career. And so all of a sudden, I'm reaching out to people that I worked with in commercial real estate saying, hey, by the way, this is what I do now. And so they know that I built such a positive reputation in my commercial real estate company that it's comfortable for them to ask me to come in and speak or comfortable for them to have me teach their employees or whatever it might be, executive coaching. So I think the answer is, Build a brand, be genuine and authentic, but throw in the action. Mm -hmm. You've got to reach out to people. Build relationships. I build a lot of relationships through social media. I've spoken to people from all over the world virtually through video that I've never met in person. So if something feels like, oh, wait, I think I could benefit this, I will reach out and just start talking to them. And because I've built this reputation of someone that gives as well as receives, another chapter of my book. And that in itself has given me just opportunity. I swear to you, Cree, someone asked me the other day, how did you get the upcoming speaking engagements? And I'll tell you. So I've got eight book speaking engagements right now through April. 
Four of them I applied for through my research and online through some of these links I'll give everyone. Two of them, no, three of them reached out to me through my visibility and one of them I asked for. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a good idea. It's a good mix. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know how much to charge? So the market really says to charge, start around five grand, but a lot of people don't believe they're worth that. So I want you first to charge what you believe you're worth, because if you don't believe you're worth what you're asking for, you're not going to get it. It's just the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. So at first I would walk around the house and I'd have conversations like I was having, how much do you charge? Oh, I charge $5,000. I start at 5,000 and go up, but Oh, I charge 5000 Now, Cree, I can say it like nothing. Yeah, practice. Well, I charge at 5000 but it depends on if you want this and this and this. I think I would suggest that anyone that's listening that wants to be a speaker, go on eSpeakers.com and research, it's free, speakers like you mm-hmm. with your area of expertise, with your certifications, with your degrees. It doesn't have to be degrees, with your years of work. Some Exactly. Yeah. Just go do the research, go see if what people are charging. If they're charging it, you can probably charge it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for somebody who was not sure about writing a book and it was really low on your priority list, what made you, you know, move that, uh, that action item to the top of your list? And then what was that like, writing oh, a book? Gosh. It, I have to tell you, the writing part was the easier part for me. The editing part was a nightmare for me. The editing part took me four months, and that's that perfection piece. What are people going to think? What if there's a mistake? What if, because again, my my writing is wonderful. Obviously, I have a master's degree, so I had to turn in a paper every week. But to me, it's very simplistic. So I was concerned. Funny story. You know how you do searches in your paper? I mean, in your book. So I searched certain words. So a word like so was in there 70 times. A word like actually. I mean, things like that, that I I speak that way. So I probably write like I speak, which a lot of writers don't. And I never have been seen myself as a professional writer. So please, for anyone that thinks they have a message out there to get, don't think you have to be a professional writer because I am not. I am not a writer. My family was in shock when I told them I was writing a book. And I think that where I would start is I would start with the outline. Just sit down. Think about your area of expertise. What is it you want the world to learn? Even if you can only impact one person at a time, write down a title of a book. You may change it 10 times. Don't worry about it. But write down a title and then write chapter titles. So that's where I started. Mm -hmm. I started with the eight I told you about and then I just kept adding it. And then you've got to, you've got to make appointments with yourself because we're so busy running businesses and life and whatever there's no time to write. I didn't get to do what a lot of people get to do. Go sit in a cabin for three weeks and write a book. I had to find time, which adds a lot of pressure to you because now you've got this min- minimum amount of time or whatever. So schedule time with yourself, put it in your calendar, and don't cancel it like you, would, you wouldn't cancel an appointment with a client. Mm-hmm. That's where I would start. Okay. That's how you prioritize yeah. it. Yeah. And I know um, that's where all books start is... You might have the word actually in there a million times, oh gosh, but so just times. get the thoughts down. Good, excellent. Advice. I did a lot of yeah. synonym research <laughs> yeah. for different words. So you could change them. And hey, this is coming from somebody who's not written a book, but <laughs> I, I believe you. I think that that's great advice. Um, all right, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Sure. And um, do some rapid fire questions. Okay. You ready? Sure. Do you consider yourself to be a leader? Yes. How come? 
because I think that I'm good at being a follower just as well as I am being a leader. And I recognize being a leader is teaching other people how to be leaders. Okay. Now, when you think of, think of a leader in your life, okay. what draws you to that person? What traits do they have that, that really resonate with you? Absolutely. Passion, mm-hmm. courage, recognizing strengths in people instead of focusing on their weaknesses, and a drive. A drive, in my opinion, true leaders have a drive to serve. I call it serving and change. And also not being scared of going against the traffic, against what everyone's going to be okay with. Because that's the courage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who or what drives you? Oh, gosh. Um, That one's, for me, I think, honestly, it's going to be funny, but I think people drive me. I think that as much bad as we have in this world, that if us good people give up, what do we have left? So I think we almost have a obligation to shine our light, those that want to make a difference in life. So people drive me. Mm-hmm. Women absolutely drive me because I think women rock, but people drive me. Yeah. As someone who's worked with both men and women, and now you really focus on women empowerment, what is some advice that you can give to men on how they can better incorporate women into their working environment? I think the biggest thing that I could give to any men that are in executive positions, let's just use that as an example, is that you need to step away from the gender because I think a lot of us are programmed that way. It's just what it is. And a lot of it's not our fault. It's from being brought up a certain way or by certain peers or parents. It doesn't matter what. And recognize that step away from the gender, stop looking at the gender and recognize the strengths of the human, not the gender. And the same the other way. Women that are in power need to do the same with men. Sometimes women will have the same bias against men that men might have against women. So my suggestion would be step away from the gender and step into learning about the person. How do you organize your day? You mentioned you're very busy, you're a parent, you are still in commercial real estate, you're now, you're traveling, right? Speaking. Yes. And with your book and everything, how do you organize your time and and, uh, really determine what your priorities are? It was really hard for me for a long time to say no. I'm a yes girl and I realized it wasn't benefiting anybody, including myself when I didn't say no. The way that I start is I start with I like the number three. It's something that a lot of people like. I start with three goals that I want to accomplish, and they change all the time. I started out the year with three goals. I have a whiteboard that's really wallpaper in my office. It covers like a huge piece of my office. And I wrote those three goals down. And now, if something does not directly correlate with one of those goals, I say no. And it might not be no forever. It just might be for right now that just does not relate to what I want to accomplish. But the best way that I accomplish my day is I live and breathe through my calendar. That includes vacations. That includes galit time. I leave space. People don't leave space. They pack their day so full of stuff. My to-do list is never going to end. Because as you know, Cree, we're always coming up with something new. So once I finish one to-do list, there's a new one. So my suggestions is first know what you want. So many people don't know what they want. Set those up as goals and now focus on everything to directly relate to that goal. 
What is it you want to accomplish? And then set up a schedule. My week is really interesting. Mondays and Fridays are my least busy days when it comes to appointments. Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday are packed solid. So starting the week, I leave time to create. Ending the week, excuse me, ending the week, I leave time to absorb everything that I just learned or or went through or the meetings or whatever it might be from the week. Yeah. When you're out speaking to to groups Uh and people come up to you and talk to you, is there a common theme with something that they want to talk to you about or um, some sort of a challenge that they're experiencing right now? Yeah. The theme with me seems to be people need inspiration. Mm Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I'm hearing over and over again, and I've spoken to, except for speaking in front of people, I've personally spoken to a few hundred women in the last few years, personally, and the common theme seems to be there's this feeling that they were meant for more. The how always seems to be an issue. I don't know how. And then the second piece seems to be, I don't believe in myself that I can. So the how and the believing seems to be a lot of it that falls into it. One of the things I talk about in the book is a chapter is called She Believes in Herself, like she believes in herself. A lot of women don't. And so when you start believing in yourself, it's limitless what you can accomplish because a lot of time what's stopping you is you just don't believe you can. Mm -hmm. What's your advice for somebody who says that they don't believe in themselves? What, What should they do? I usually use the example because I'm a mom. And so for those of you that are not moms, I'll give a different example. This one's just so natural. When my child came up to me and she was little and said she wanted to be a veterinarian, my daughter actually did that. Now she wants to be a doctor. I said, you can be whatever you want to be. It's very rare. I don't care if it's your niece, your nephew, your best friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your mom. I don't care who it is, okay? When somebody comes up to you, if you're the kind of person that I am, you tell them they can be whatever they want to be. So why don't you do that to yourself? So what the advice I would give you is, look at the way you treat other people. Why are you not that kind to yourself? Be kind to yourself and recognize that you can start believing in yourself. Surround yourself with people that do and start seeing what they see in you. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming in today, Galita. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Such an amazing and inspirational woman. I'm looking forward to following Galit's career as a speaker and author. And if you're interested in doing the same, you can find her at galitventurarosen.com. We'll post the link to her website as well as information on her book in the show notes. For all of you listeners... Thank you for tuning in. One small thing you can do to help support our show is to head to iTunes and leave us a review. It only takes a few minutes, and although it seems silly, it helps us out a ton. Plus, it's free and only takes a few minutes. Don't forget to head on over to leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule to see what we're up to in the leadership and personal development department. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Thanks as always for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next episode.